following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. You know what? Um, been a been a dad now for almost 13 years. And I can tell you something that, that I never really anticipated. There's a lot of things about parenthood I, I didn't really anticipate. Um, but, but one of them is this, is how difficult it is to leave the helicopter in the backyard grounded. You see what I'm saying? Do you have a helicopter in your backyard? I'm guessing if you're a parent, you do. You might not know it's there, but it is. All right? And every parent, there's some parents that get into those helicopters a little more than others. All right? Um, But every parent is tempted to. I can tell you. And it usually comes out in this way. My child gets in trouble at school. It's the teacher's fault. Um, my child gets in trouble in the locker room. It's the coach's fault. My child gets in trouble on the court or on the field. Um, it's the referee's fault. My child gets in trouble at church. It's the youth minister's fault, not the minister's fault, obviously. Okay, all right. My child gets in trouble with their friends. It's their friend's fault. It's my, my child's peer's fault. My child gets in trouble with the law. It's the policeman's fault. And, 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 and that's, 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 a, that's a parent that makes very good use of that helicopter in the backyard. Okay? Let me tell you something. Being a helicopter parent, because I've experienced it before. Okay? I, that helicopter has not always stayed grounded. I, I'm here to tell you. I'm here to confess. All right? But I can tell you one thing, it's hard work to climb into that helicopter. And you know what a parent, a true helicopter parent gets for all of that hard work over all the years? They get a 38-year-old son living in their basement. I mean, that's, that's basically what happens. Let me tell you something. You can use a lot of different titles, descriptive titles, to give an idea to people of who God is and what he is and what he represents. And I can tell you one thing, for absolute certainty, helicopter dad isn't one of them. Okay? We're going to be looking, as I've already told you, at the book of James. Let me tell you a little bit about its author. Um, James, for one thing, um, as, you, as you read through it, now, now our Bibles have been translated from Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament into English. I'm guessing most of us in here are holding a Bible. It's, been in, it's in English now, all right? So you don't see it quite as much as you would have seen it in the original language. Well, let me tell you something. The book of James is incredibly well-written. It's eloquent. It uses, the, James, the author, uses word pictures in such a powerful way. And don't get me wrong, God is working through him, but the guy was sharp, right? It has been called, along with... The, writer, the, the, the writing of Hebrews that we looked at last year, those two are like the two lows. I mean, like the, the skill used, just language skill used in those two books of the Bible is impressive. So James, first of all, was a learned man. He was, he was a powerful author. Um, he also happened to be the, I guess you could kind of call him the chief elder in the church of Jerusalem. He's someone who, who stood alongside the Apostle Paul. Let me tell you something about the Apostle Paul. You know this. You've read a lot of his reading. He, he was not afraid to shake things up. And when you shake things up, you're going to find yourself, you're going to find opposition, even from within the church. So it was James who many times came beside Paul in the book of Acts, put his arm around him and said, this guy is speaking the truth. We need to hear what he's saying. 
All right? So that's, that's James, a little bit more about him. Something else you might not have known about James, because there's lots of James in the Bible. Oh, my name is James. I thought I was named after a Bible James. My folks just like the name James. I thought Andrew, James Andrew. I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's about as Bible as you get. My grandma's maiden name was Andrews. So, all right. So anyway, so I can't claim any namesake thing at all, any whatsoever. But something that James could claim the author of what we're looking at today, is he was the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, who did not follow him while Jesus was living in this world. It wasn't until after his death, burial, and resurrection that James got shaken out of his misguidedness about that perfect brother. Can you imagine being Jesus' brother? I mean, oh man, why can't you be more like your brother? It's unbelievable. Please. All right, so... This is James. This is the author of what we are looking at today. And James, his writing has been labeled, and quite accurately, brutally practical. Brutally practical. If you want a little bit of some examples of that, let's just, let's just dig into it. First of all, here in James, turn to chapter 2, beginning with verse 17. How's this for practical and brutal? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Oh, wow. Well, let's just put it right on out there, okay, James? Now, now, let's take a look at chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Okay, now let's follow that with what he says in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. All righty then. Um, kind of brutal, kind of practical. Um, he kind of starts that way. Now we're getting a little closer to what we're going to look at today. James chapter 1. He has a one-verse introduction. All right, And then he jumps right into it in verse 2. When he says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James pretty much says, hello. And then he says, be joyful when you experience difficulty in life. That's how he starts his letter. You see, James understood that living for Jesus in a world at odds with Jesus is not easy. Okay? 
there's a lot of instruction in James that is not difficult to understand. It's just not easily followed. It is brutally practical. And for all of us at some point in our lives, it calls for change. Maybe this is why James places prayer so near the beginning of his letter and so near the ending. All right? We're going to end today with the beginning. So we're going to go to the end first. Does that make any sense? All right. So, so and I'm not going to read it for you, but if you want to turn there and kind of look at it, look at James chapter 5, kind of the last half of that chapter. And what James is telling, telling the church that's spread out all over, what he's telling them is this. He says, pray for one another. He said, this is vital. This is so incredible important. Pray for each other. Pray for the sick. And after he gives these proclamations, he then tells us how powerful the prayer of righteous believers, how powerful those prayers are. By the way, that's backed up by another New Testament author. This is one I've heard J.B. touch on a number of different times in preaching and teaching. In, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the Apostle Peter, when he's giving very practical instruction about family relationships, and he says, Husbands, honor your wives so that your prayers may not be hindered. Catch the connection there between prayer and righteousness and effective prayer. So he says... The prayer of the righteous can accomplish much. And then he goes on to say this. He gives the powerful example of the prayer of Elijah. Now, we looked at that. And like I said, 2020 seems like it's gone on for a little while. I mean, we had that mountaintop experience sermon series, and we preached about this with, with, the, with the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel, with the prophets of Baal. Seems like it was like four and a half years ago. You know, it wasn't even four months ago we went through that, all right? And previous to that encounter, though, what you see happen is this. Elijah prayed that the rains would stop. Now, that's not the type of prayer we typically like people to pray, <laughs> okay? But the point needed to be made. This is a nation that had abandoned God. And he prayed that it would not rain. Guess how long it didn't rain, you remember? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. You talk about some powerful prayer. Let me tell you something, folks. That kind of prayer is needed Today, prayer, prayer for people who are sick, whether it be physical sickness or whether it be spiritual sickness. On that note, sin needs to be dealt with. And I tell you what, any, any effective confrontation with someone about the sin in their life, if it's going to be effective, God has to be in the middle of it. And before you ever go to a brother or sister to point out something in their life that needs to change, you and I need to humble ourselves and pray, and pray a lot. But perhaps prayer is needed even more. That's the end of the letter. Perhaps prayer is needed even a little bit more at the beginning of the letter. Remember what we said? He gives his one-verse greeting, and then he tells people to consider it joy when they experience difficulties in life. What he's saying in those verses right there is what? God is not a helicopter dad. He's not. You go, you have problems, and you go to God with your problems. Do not expect him to sweep them away. That's not the way in which he operates. If God was a helicopter dad, verses 2 through 4 wouldn't even be in this letter. And since God doesn't use helicopters, we need to pray. 
And we need to pray for strength. We need to pray for wisdom. Prayer can make all the difference in the world when life gets tough, when life gets rough, and I've had enough of it. Sorry, I just couldn't do the enough thing without. It's just, ugh, I couldn't do it, all right? When life gets difficult, what do we need to do? When we've had enough of it? When you get tired, you ever get tired of it? Do you ever just get tired of it? Prayer will make a difference. Look at verse 5. Right after this difficulty in life, he says this. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let me tell you something, folks. People want wisdom. They do. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about the church here. People in general want wisdom. If you don't believe me, I was listening to a sermon by, by Gerald Griffin. Uh, listened to it a while back. Um, he's, he's a professor now, kind of part-time professor at Ozark Christian Colleges. Used to minister at Racine Christian Church for many, many years um, over near Joplin. And um, incredible guy. I mean, a great preacher. I remember when he came here. It's been a few years ago that he came here and preached on a Sunday morning. Powerful preacher. And uh, also a really funny guy. And he was preaching about the, the, the truth that God still answers prayer. Okay? And he was talking about how people want, want advice. They want wisdom. And he brought something up. I'm going to ask you if, if any of you have ever seen this. Go and pull that up, Zach. Have any of you ever seen this picture before? There's a few. Yeah, you're shaking your head. Yes, the first service nobody had. Nobody had. Can you read that? This is, I like this. Old coots giving advice. It's probably bad advice, but it's free. Oh, come on. That's funny, people. I mean, that really, really is. I know what you're thinking. Am I old? Is, is, that, is that an insult? You know? You have just offended me, preacher. Oh, sorry. We'll talk about it later. All right. So, old coots giving advice is probably bad advice, but it's free. Here's the background of this. Once I heard him talk about this, I had to dig into it a little bit and find about this. This is really true, right? You've got, you've got a group of, there you see five people. There's actually six in the group. There's a woman who's a part of the group as well. They meet at a coffee shop in Salt Lake City, Utah. They meet in a coffee shop. The, the majority of them are retired, and, and they meet almost every morning in the week, and they tell each they were telling each other the exact same jokes, the exact same stories, and they were beginning to get tired of listening to each other. You ever been there before? All right, and it's like, you know what? We need to take this show on the road. So what they decided to do was print up a banner, came up with a name for themselves, and they set up a booth at the farmer's market. That's a picture of this farmer's market. Guess what happened the first day? Over 40 people showed up. Not laughing sincerely wanting advice. Everything you can imagine. You know, most of it had to do with relationship type stuff, but everything you can imagine. These guys, since that time, have their own podcast by the same name, all right? I'm telling you, folks. Okay, you can get rid of that now, Zach. I'm telling you, folks, people want advice. We want wisdom. All right, this, I'm going to chase a squirrel for just a second, okay? Just a second. 
And if you're a parent like me, and I don't care your age, because once you become a parent, you don't stop, all right? Listen very closely. Good parents love to be asked by their children how to navigate life. They do. Good parents long for those moments. And I'm telling you, slow down, Dad. Slow down, Mom. I'm talking to myself here as well. Don't miss the moments that can make all the difference in the world to our children. Those times are precious. When a child comes to his or her parent and says, I don't know what to do. Can you help me out with this one? You know something? The best example of a parent is our Heavenly Father. And let me tell you something, folks. He loves to be asked for wisdom. You go to God with a problem, don't be, don't be disappointed when he doesn't push your problem away. He's not a helicopter dad. He's not going to push all the problems that our life presents out of the way. He's not going to do it. But that does not mean he's not ready and willing to help us deal with what we're facing. Be confident. Did you catch the next verse after verse 5? But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Our God is ready and willing to help. That should make us bold when we come to the Lord, seeking his wisdom. What a world. What a world we live in, folks. I'm not going to lie. 2020. Goodness gracious. Mayors at odds with governors. Okay? Governors at odds with Washington. Right? Candidates. Candidates is at odds with one another. On top of 2020 being everything it is, it's an election year. People at odds with all of it. <laughs> Just want to be done with it. Is there going to be school this year? When is church going to be normal? I mean, preacher, you're wearing a mask on a stage. When is everything going to be normal? You know, four different conversations I had this week, and you've got to hear me here, all right, because those four different conversations were backed up by those people I was having conversations, having conversations with others. You understand what I'm saying here? So I'm not just representing four different people. I'm representing many, many people with these four different conversations I had this week. Four different conversations in one week about people checking out. And what I mean by that is this. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, accounts dropping like flies, people. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it might not be a bad thing. 
I'm not telling you that's a bad thing at all. You know, I think if James were writing his letter today, he would say, not only watch your tongue, it can be a world of evil, watch your fingers. All right? People are tired of the bickering, the arguing, the fighting that's going around in the world around us, and it's even infiltrated its way within churches. It's like, we're tired of it. We're sick of it. In the, in the midst of all of that, the question we have to ask ourselves as the church is this. Are we, are God's people praying for wisdom? Are we praying that regularly? Because, folks, we need it. There is no, there was no manual for 2020, folks. A lot of what we're dealing with right now, there was no, okay, how, where's the how-to for 2020? Because if there was a how-to book for 2020, it would be a bestseller in less than a week. I'm telling you right now, okay? There isn't one. And if somebody tries to sell one, don't buy it because it's junk. <laughs> Unless it has these words. Trust God and ask him for wisdom. Twenty twenty. Pretty abnormal. Let me tell you something, folks. And I know you know this. It's just a reminder. Our world hasn't been normal for a long time. Our world hasn't been normal since a man named Adam and a woman named Eve royally messed up. And made everything about this world completely abnormal. They broke with what God wanted for them. And they went a different direction. And we are still feeling the ramifications today. That's the world we live in. And it's never going to be right. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. This world isn't our home. It's not. But we're here for a while, right? You know, God gives some amazing gifts. If I were to stand up here and list all of them, we would be here the remainder of the day and beyond, probably. One of the gifts that we've already talked about that he's so ready and willing to give is his wisdom. But there's another gift that God gives in a world of turmoil, an abnormal world. And that gift is peace. Why don't you turn in your Bibles? To the scripture we'll end with. The gospel of John. You'll be near the beginning of your New Testament. <laughs> I'm not going to do this with an English accent. I'm sorry. John 16 verse 33. 
After all, we are working our ways towards communion, right? I mean, that's how we will end our day. There's nothing, there's nothing more important this week that you and I will do than commune with our Heavenly Father and His Son, our Savior. So bear that in mind as we work our way towards that. Jesus was speaking here to a very small group of men. And he's been telling them a lot of things. They have no idea what's coming. They should know what's coming, but they don't know. See, they would go from this room to the Garden of Gethsemane. From there, they would be scattered. Jesus would go and be thrown into a couple joke of of trials. And then he would end up on a cross at Calvary. That's what's coming. And Jesus has spoken with them for some time now. And I'm sure we don't get the exhaustive list here of what he said. We kind of get the highlights. But I bet you, I'd be willing to bet you money. This is where he ended his talk with these men before he began praying for them. His prayer is contained in chapter 17. In the very last verse of chapter 16, it says this. Jesus speaking to this men, these men whose worlds were about to be rocked. And he said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That's your Lord speaking. That's your Savior speaking. That's your advocate in heaven speaking. That is the one who is building your home right now as I speak. That you'll spend eternity in. This world is royally messed up. And we need God's wisdom to navigate it. But it's not our home. Amen.